We read from the Holy Scriptures this evening from 1 Samuel, a portion of chapter 15, the book of 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter. Our text for this evening is found in verse 22 of this chapter. We'll read the first 23 verses. We hear the word of God in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Habilah until thou comest to Shur, that is, over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and, behold, he set him up a place, and is gone about, and passed on, and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleating of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed." Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go, and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. 
But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Thus far we read from God's holy word. As I said, our text this evening with a view to preparatory is found in verse 22, 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, where we read, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, it seems that King Saul was never quite able to understand Samuel or Samuel's God. He knew that in a very special sense, his position as king uh, Israel was due to them. He knew that it was quite necessary for him to observe all the religious customs and regulations of the nation. And although prior to his coronation, likely he had had little to do with such things, he was now quite willing to do so to the best of his abilities. He knew that it was important to retain the favor of both Samuel and Jehovah if he was going to get along as king in Israel. But just how to do this was quite beyond his comprehension, it seems. To him, the outward, the external observance of ceremonies was all that religion could possibly demand. Such things as true reverence for God, heartfelt obedience, love, apparently never came into consideration. Saul was a man of personal ambition, as are so many political leaders. The idea that Jehovah God must come first, even before this, was to him unthinkable. Samuel and the God of Israel were important to him only as long and insofar as they served his own purposes. Perhaps he would never have said this in so many words, but it was there taken for granted nevertheless. He simply did not take seriously the truth that the thrice holy God is righteous and just in his demand. God requires that we live according to the holy commandments which he has given us. But ever since the fall into sin of our first parents, proud and boastful man has tried to break loose from that responsibility. He has said no to the divine command. He has lifted himself up in awful rebellion against his Lord. And even to this very day, man lives by nature in hatred toward God, whom he is in duty bound to serve. And it's this fact of 
universal insubordination and lawlessness that lies at the root of all the troubles that plague the world in which we live. People cannot ignore or cast aside the law of God with impunity, even as it is impossible to touch fire without being burned, so one cannot defy and disobey the living God without being burned by the fire of his righteous and holy wrath. Our God is a consuming fire. And likewise, it is impossible to appease God, satisfy him by attempting to bring to him some form of substitution for perfect submission and wholehearted obedience. Such attempts only intensify his righteous wrath. For the prayers and supposed offerings of the wicked are an abomination in his sight. But on the positive side, the key to a truly blessed and happy life lies in the possession of true obedience. To be without it is to die, while the true desire and striving to practice it is conducive to a happy, blessed life. We sang of that from Psalter number one, the first psalm. As Solomon speaks in Proverbs 3, verse 12, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. The Apostle Peter likewise testifies of that in 1 Peter chapter 3. We read in verses 10 through 12, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. These passages to which so many others could be added assure us that in the way of obedience there is blessing, while disobedience results in sorrow and misery. The virtue of obedience is to be earnestly coveted, diligently practiced, carefully guarded. That stands out so dramatically in our text. It teaches us that God demands of us and insists upon perfect obedience and submission. Nothing less will do. And the Lord requires that this obedience be from the heart and not simply in outward form. For Jehovah is not like man who looks at the outward appearance of things. God searches and knows the heart. And the Lord has delight in them that obey his voice. To obey is better than sacrifice. And as we shall see, this truth is especially important with regard to our self-examination. Let us not look at a few outward things in our lives and assure ourselves that all is well, let us truly examine ourselves. Let us truly consider our sins. And having done so, let us together behold the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice, in the perfect satisfaction which he made through his atoning sacrifice. Rejoice that all our righteousness is 
in Christ. And let us resolve to walk before God in thankful obedience. It's in this light that we consider our text under the theme, Jehovah's Delight in Obedience. And we notice, first of all, the historical background, secondly, the urgent lesson, and finally, the only possibility. Saul, the son of Kish, king of Israel, had been given clear instructions from the Lord to go and smite utterly the nation of Amalek. Emphasis was laid in the instruction upon the totality of this destruction. That's verse 3. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Everything had to be destroyed. This was a just judgment of Jehovah God upon a wicked nation that years earlier had troubled, harassed the children of Israel who had been led forth out of Egypt. When the Lord enters into judgment with the wicked, He spares nothing. And no spoils were to be taken. Everything had to be destroyed. Such were the orders of the Lord that were given to King Saul. And Saul understood full well Jehovah's command. He understood full well that Jehovah wanted the Amalekites completely wiped out. And for the most part, he was in agreement with this. It was just that he thought he knew a, a better way of going about it than Samuel had suggested. And so the king of Israel did not obey the word of the Lord. Though he destroyed all that was vile and worthless, he spared Agag, king of Amalek, and he took back with him the best of the sheep and oxen, the fatlings and lambs. You see, instead of slaying everything and everybody immediately, it seemed to him that more could be done to enhance his own image. More could be done to arouse the enthusiasm of the people. He could really boost his own popularity. Think of it in terms of a modern-day politician. He would see his numbers in the polls going up. He could save the best of the cattle and the animals for a great sacrificial feast. And he could keep King Agag as a living memento of that tremendous victory. He suspected, of course, that Samuel might not be exactly pleased by this type of thinking. But after all, he was king. And what could be more important than that the people's high estimation of him should be encouraged. Indeed, when finally the meeting between Saul and Samuel takes place at Gilgal, it was necessarily very tense right from the start. Saul would no doubt have liked to have avoided this meeting completely. In fact, he had approached Gilgal by a roundabout route in the hope of doing just that. But when Saul looked up and saw Samuel approaching with determined step from the distance, he knew that the most he could hope to do was to hasten to 
intercept him and try to break the news to him gradually. If only he could explain that in the main he had kept the Lord's commandments concerning Amalek and what few changes he had made on his own were really for the better. And so with the appearance of warm hospitality, he came to meet Samuel with the comment, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. The answer of Samuel came fast, like an icy blast. What meaneth then this bleating of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Samuel is not misled by this pious lie of the king. For during the previous night, the Lord had revealed to him what had taken place. Besides, even now, he can hear with his own ears the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen that had been spared. Immediately, he requests King Saul to give an explanation of these things. And the king presumes to have an answer, an answer which would apparently justify him of the guilt of neglecting to fully execute the command of God with respect to the Amalekites. He replies that not he, but it was the people who had spared the choice animals. They did that in order to use them as sacrifices unto God. Under the pretense, therefore, of doing God a service, he tries to cover up the blatant sin of disobedience. Even this pretense, however, is far removed from the truth. And King Saul is in a terrible predicament. He is as a thief caught with the stolen goods right in his own hands. He is a man who does not seek God, but desires only to please men. He has condoned this sin because in this way he sees opportunity to get the people to say that he, rather than Jehovah God, had made them rich. What awful pride. He would boast, look, look what I've done for you. In love of self, in sinful pride, he had disregarded the word of the Lord. To gain self-honor, he has dishonored God, and now his evil is exposed. He's caught in the trap of his own iniquity. Will he repent? Will he acknowledge this sin and transgression? Will he humble himself and confess his guilt? Oh no. But instead, he adds to his sin by attempting to excuse it. And he presents himself as a man who fears God, as a man who is deeply religious, as a man who even desires to do the Lord a favor. His pious excuse is, these things were kept to sacrifice unto God. Now let it be assumed for a moment that Saul speaks the truth here. Let's take his word for it and assume that his motive in this was actually to supply the altar of the Lord with an abundance of the best for sacrifices. What then? Does the end of a thing, however right it may seem to be, justify the use of wicked means to attain it? Can that ever be pleasing to God? The answer of the prophet shows how impossible this is. Samuel says to King Saul, 
Does the Lord delight in sacrifices as much as in obedience? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice, and to hearken is to be preferred to the fat of rams. And the point of this answer is that God is satisfied with nothing less than perfect service from the heart and the complete submission of man's mind and will to his way. Outward form, sacrificial service have meaning with God only when they proceed from the sincere heart and in obedience and love. A thousand sacrifices of the choicest of gifts offered unto God with a heart filled with pride and enmity and rebellion are only abominations. And the Lord will not receive them. The Lord will not delight in them. It's for this reason that man, by nature, apart from the grace of God, is utterly unable to do anything that is good and pleasing in the sight of God. By nature, man's prayers are an abomination. His sacrifices displease God since they are offered out of selfish motives. His religion is a sham. His mercies are cruel. His works and charities are only evil. God demands obedience from the heart. And without this, all that one does is sin. And from this obedience, man has willfully turned away. And so his sacrifices are stinking in the nostrils of our holy God. Now, this incident in the life of Saul, king of Israel, presents an urgent lesson for us. To Saul was given the command of God to utterly destroy the Amalekites because they were an evil people that had filled the cup of iniquity by their harassment of Israel, the people of God. Although different in form, this command is essentially the same as that which comes to us daily in God's Word. There He commands us to purify ourselves, to cleanse ourselves from all wickedness, to be holy even as He is holy. His Word is, come out from among them and be ye separate. God always requires of us that we put away every wicked way, forsake every sinful way, cleanse our hearts and minds from all evil, and walk before Him in love and obedience according to His Word. And this demand of God is far-reaching, It embraces every phase, every aspect of our lives. It includes all that we think and speak and do. It means that we must cleanse ourselves from all sin. We must purify our homes as husbands and wives in our relationship, as parents and children, As brothers and sisters, we must dwell together in love and holiness. We must separate ourselves from all ties by which we are bound to worldliness in any form and by which we join in and become co-workers with those who do evil. We are called to seek and remain members of the faithful 
manifestation of the church of God in the midst of this world. We must submit ourselves to its doctrine and discipline, taking upon ourselves the yoke of Christ. We must make our relationships with one another free from sin, our, our form for the administration of the Lord's Supper emphasizes that whether he hath laid aside unfeignedly all enmity, hatred, and envy, and doth firmly resolve to walk in true love and peace with his neighbor. Ours is the duty to be obedient in every sphere of life, must bow in humble submission to God's Word. And we may not offer a single excuse. But what frequently happens? Are we not altogether too much like Saul, the son of Kish? And like Saul, we too can sometimes pride ourselves in a certain outward form of obedience. And we profess to have obeyed the command of God in our own way, quite like the Pharisees. In Jesus' time, we tell how we have put aside the trash and the worthless things of the world. We don't do this and we don't do that. But at the same time, we allow certain other sins to remain in our lives. As young people, young adults, we can easily do that. We reason, well, I go to church. I've attended catechism, society, attended a Christian school, but surely God can't expect me to be religious all the time. I have to have my fun too, don't I? I don't do this. I don't do that, but these other things, yes, worldly, I'll hang on to them. I won't go to the movie theater, but to watch one of the world's movies at home isn't such a big deal. I don't do drugs, but to party a little bit once in a while, it's very easy for all of us to reason this way. The community regards me as a reputable citizen. So what if I fudge on my taxes a little bit? So what if I take advantage of my employees? So what if I loaf on the job? I belong to the church. I attend regularly. Surely God can't expect me to be concerned about supporting the causes of his kingdom, even paying the budget. I attend the worship services on the Lord's Day. Surely God will allow me to do what I please with the rest of Sunday. On and on we can go. What about it? Are we being obedient to the command of our God? And didn't King Saul also destroy the vile and the worthless. Our disobedience often is not reflected in our not doing certain things so much as it is in our doing other things. Saul's sin was not so much in destroying the vile, but he disobeyed God when he kept that which was good in his own eyes. And then the fact that he had destroyed the vial was of no account to him to rectify for his transgression. And so it is with us. We don't please God simply by 
discarding certain worldly things and practices while we retain much of the forbidden things and practices of the world that look good in our own eyes. What zeal do I have for the things that are spiritual? Do I get as excited about spiritual things as I do for a new video game or for some sporting event? That failure to submit ourselves completely to the will of God constitutes our sin. And as we examine ourselves, we must see and reckon with these sins. And like Saul, we too, when exposed to these sins, often try to make excuses. Excuses, excuses. We can sometimes, as parents, marvel at the excuses our children come up with. Well, they come by that honestly. We too so easily reason. After all, even the holiest of men have only a small beginning of true obedience. It's so easy to make excuses with regard to the rearing of our children, their discipline or lack thereof, their companions, their entertainments. Will we leave the fellowship of the faithful church if a good job opportunity, career move comes up that would have us move to another area with the excuse, well, well, I have to feed my family. We deny ourselves five worldly pleasures and then try to use that to justify our participation in three others. Discarding the clear norms of God's Word, we would set up our own standards and expect that God will be satisfied with what we've done. Think of it, that we would have the audacity to think that God will be satisfied with what we decide should please Him. And how quickly we can begin to bargain with God. If we do not set ourselves manfully to the task of perfect obedience to God, we soon begin to make deals with the Most High God. Do you know how that goes? We think, if only God will allow me to have this, then I will give up some other thing which is clearly wrong. Again, we can begin to rationalize that way already in our youth. Now there are many things that I'd like to do, various entertainments. I know they aren't right, but later on, when I'm older, then I'll be a good Christian. Or we say to God when we really find ourselves in a jam, if only God will get me out of this, then I'll straighten up. But then the danger passes and we continue in the same sinful ways. And we try in all of this to get God to be satisfied with something less than true obedience from the heart. And the very attempt is sinful and it never, never prospers. Beloved, we must learn 
the blessedness of the way of obedience, true godliness, living lives of gratitude. That must be our conviction. Also, as we would partake of the Lord's Supper, to show forth our thankfulness to God in all of our life. This involves a struggle. This is the battle of faith. As individuals, as families, as church, it's our high calling before God. The key to a blessed, a truly happy life lies in the possession of true obedience, devotion to God from the heart. We hear the Word of God in the epistle of James in the opening chapter from verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, that is a mirror, For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he be not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. This man shall be blessed in his deed. Be not deceived. The miseries and the troubles that fill the world today are the result of God's just wrath upon disobedient, rebellious mankind. And greater miseries than these are to follow as man continues in sin and rebellion to build his world kingdom, the anti-Christian kingdom. God will not be mocked. That broad way of disobedience leads to destruction. On the other hand, the prophet Jeremiah tells us, but this thing Commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. So Moses had declared, Set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day, which ye shall command your children to observe to do all the words of this law, for it is not a vain thing for you, because it is your life. The Lord Jesus himself confirms this when he says in the sermon on the kingdom of heaven, not all that say, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom, but he that doeth the will of my Father. Disobedience is certain death, while obedience is everlasting life. Beloved, how is obedience possible? Is it hopeless? First of all, We must acknowledge that no one is or can be obedient of themselves. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In ourselves, we are a disobedient and gainsaying people, hopelessly lost, utterly helpless are we in our sin by nature. And so often we are hypocritical. 
And we can put on a show, a facade of obedience, while in reality we rebel against Jehovah God. And the word of God unto us is repent. Repent. Let us consider our sins and the curse due to them, due to us for them. That's first in our self-examination. But in inseparable connection, in the second place, we look and flee to our Savior. Our Lord Jesus Christ is perfect in obedience. Behold His passion and death. Concerning Him it is written, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do Thy will, O God. He Himself testified, I came not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And all His life long He walked perfectly in that way of obedience. The command that God gave him to execute, he has fully realized. He walked in obedience even unto the cruel and shameful death of the cross. For us, for all whom the Father had given him, to atone for all our sins. And that obedience, that perfect obedience was rewarded in that God raised him from the dead and exalted him above all. And so our righteousness is in Christ. The Apostle Paul testifies of it in Philippians 3, verse 9, and be found in Him, that is, in Christ, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So it is that we are given to see that our obedience is possible only in Christ. And in this life, as we bear with us yet that old man of sin, it is truly but a small beginning. But obedience is a gift of grace bestowed by Christ upon His own through His Spirit. And more and more He delivers us from the power and dominion of sin. That's the blessing of sanctification. He creates in us a new heart and He leads us by His Spirit and Word in the paths of obedience. As we read this morning from Ephesians 2, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Our rebellion and stubborn resistance to His ways is broken. And we joyfully, thankfully, more and more would walk in the Lord's way, forsaking the world, crucifying our old nature, walking in a new and holy life. From day to day we seek His grace to do so. Be not deceived, that doesn't mean, as some would proclaim, that the Christian life will then be easy, a bed of roses, a walk in the park, 
all our life long, it remains a struggle. The battle of faith each day again. For remember, the way of obedience means bearing a cross, denying ourselves, suffering for Christ's sake. But that way is the way of true blessedness. And that blessedness we also find, experience, taste, and see as we come with humble hearts to the table of the Lord, mindful and truly sorrowful for our sins, beholding in faith those signs and seals of the broken body and the shed blood of our Savior, who fully atoned for all of our sins. And being strengthened in faith, resolved to live more and more in thankful obedience unto our God. Solomon, another of Israel's kings, put it this way in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. So may God grant us His grace to live in thankful obedience. For to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Amen. Most merciful and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word. May we ourselves look into that mirror of Thy law. May we not be forgetful hearers, but doers of the work. How we rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ the unspeakable gift of Thine only begotten Son who laid down His life even in perfect obedience that we might have life in Him. So strengthen our faith this coming Lord's Day morning through the sacrament of the Holy Supper. May this too be to Thy praise and glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.